Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All In for Citrus podcast. This is August's program, and we've got a lot to discuss, so let's get started. This month, I talked to Mangi Zekri about using covers to protect young citrus trees from the deadly citrus psyllid. He talks about what the covers are and the success he's seen in the field. Then I speak with Oot Albrecht as she discusses her work with rootstocks and why growers should be keeping them in mind. But first, we'll hear from Michael Rogers at the Citrus Research and Education Center as he wraps up the recent Citrus Expo with Southeast Agnet's Ernie Neff. Ernie, over to you. I'm Ernie Neff. I'm with Michael Rogers, director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Good day, Michael. Thanks, Ernie. Good to be be with you. Citrus Expo, behind us another year. Looked like uh, good attendance and such. How did Expo go from University of Florida IFAS perspective? Uh, Yes, Ernie. Uh, We had a really good turnout uh, this year at the Citrus Expo. Uh, Both the citrus and the vegetable folks getting together made it a a very large turnout for the meeting. And the attendance at the citrus uh, educational sessions was also very good this year. Uh, We had a really good lineup of of speakers, and we appreciate uh, the effort that the uh, committee made in, in helping to get the topics put together and Dr. Tripti Bashish. Uh, spearheaded that, getting folks together and uh, organizing that those educational sessions. So went really well. Uh, the feedback we've gotten from growers has been very good as well. Um, they, they, they enjoyed the topics. And, of course, we're always welcome to getting more feedback on topics for future meetings as well. So um, if you have suggestions, uh, please do let us know because we want to make sure that our seminars are as timely and relevant to what the growers need uh, to be hearing about to help manage their groves. If, if you happen to miss um, the Citrus Educational Sessions uh, this year and w- or want to review some of those presentations, um, sometime probably the early, the first week of September, those presentations will be online. I know Southeast Agnet will be putting those online as well as um, the IFAS Citrus website. And you can find those on the IFAS site at citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu. And you'll click on the presentation link at the top of the, the page and you'll go to a site where we're archiving presentations from Expo. Michael, you had a new event this year, the hands-on session on Thursday afternoon, the second day. How did that go? Well, Ernie, I think it went a lot better than we were uh, expecting. We were a little nervous. Uh, The second day of Expo is usually a hard time to get people to stick around and, and participate. People are worn out after a couple of days of sitting and listening to people talk. But we had a really good turnout. It was over in the Davidson House, just across the parking lot from the main um, uh, educational session uh, room. And we had uh, a full house. Uh, we had uh, all of our uh, researchers uh, present to talk about the research, do demonstrations. And once you had uh, the growers start coming in, uh, it filled up very quickly. There was hardly room to walk. And all the feedback that we've gotten from growers who participated was they thought it was uh, very worth their while to stick around and participate. And so we're really looking at ways to expand on that in the future, both at Expo and then also doing those types of events um, out around the state as well because it was so well received by the growers. We heard from one grower at Agnet that he really loved it because 
when he does something himself hands-on, he said, I remember that better than reading something five or six times. Do you hear some of those kind of comments? Yeah, I heard those comments, and, and I can relate to it myself as well, because uh, I have to admit, when I'm sitting in a lecture hall listening to people show PowerPoint slides, after a while, you, you kind of sometimes wander off. Maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do later on that evening or what's for dinner, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I just missed you know, probably the key point that the presenter was going to make. Uh, you know, when you're talking hand, you know, with one-on-one with somebody, you actually putting your hands on the the, the topic you're working with. Um, I, I think you learn a lot better. You remember things a lot better, and so I think that's what everybody can relate to, and why it makes this hands-on event such a, an important and valuable learning tool. And you also had a, in conjunction with the hands-on, a meet the specialists session uh, concurrently, correct? Yes, and so we had some of our uh, folks who we didn't have room to put up displays for everybody, but. Um, we know a lot of growers like to sit down and bend the ear of our specialist and talk, and a lot of back and forth, new ideas pop up. And so we did have a, have a number of our um, re- citrus researchers present to talk with growers, and I know there was uh, people in line to talk to certain some of those folks, and it, it was a good turnout for that as well. Michael, you were one of the speakers at Citrus Expo, the seminar presentations about, I think it was, what's in the box? What is in the box? Yeah, so so the box we're talking about is a, a new program that we're launching uh, this, this fall in IFAS, and it has to do with citrus nutrition. And, and you've heard me talk in the past about how important it is to take care of, of your HLB-affected trees. The best thing we can do is alleviate stress on those trees to keep them productive uh, into the future. And a lot of that comes down to doing a good job of caring for them through the right nutrition program for that grove. And um, without going into a whole lot of detail right now, what we're going to be doing this fall is we have a series of meetings around the state in, in the month of October. And at those meetings, growers who um, uh, attend we'll be able to uh, pick up what we're calling our citrus nutrition box. And what this this kit or this box or kit is designed to do is to help um, with the sampling of the nutritional status of groves so growers can get some nutrient analysis, both the soil and leaf analysis, several times a year throughout the year. And then IFAS will sit down and go through those those, um, leaf and soil analyses to help growers fine-tune their citrus nutrition program, to make adjustments in their fertilizer program custom to the needs of their grove and what we're finding is that's one of the most important things growers can do to increase the 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 yields improve the health of of groves affected by hlb and so a lot of people already do this kind of thing with working with consultants but not everybody is and so we're just wanting to to work with as many growers who who would like some additional help and so um, those those meetings will be happening uh, in october uh, one is going to be at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred on Tuesday, October the 8th. Another one will be at the Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce, Wednesday, October 23rd. And the, the last one will be at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee, and that's on Tuesday, October the 29th. And so you look for more information on those to sign up in advance. And uh, we hope that this will be a, a program also that will be well-received by growers and, and be very helpful as we all learn to live with HLB. And these first, I think it's four samples they can take a year, and that's totally funded by this, this introductory. Right, yeah, and, and I mentioned this in my presentation. We're not funding, we're not going to pay for your entire grows uh, nutrient analysis. But what we want to do is we want to we help pay for um, the analysis on uh, up to a 20-acre block 
uh, for the first year. Let that be our something we work with the grower to uh, show how we improve the nutrition in that 20-acre block. And, of course, the grower can do that, apply that to the rest of their grove. Um, but that's the way we're trying to get folks, uh, you know, interested in learning how to do this with us. Good. I think that's a great program. Like you said, many already do it. I guess I assumed most, but there are some who do fly about the seat of your pants, I guess, and hopefully they'll be more scientific with this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're still looking at all, any way we can to try to get the right information out to growers, help them in every way we can, uh, because we're all learning how to how to navigate uh, HLB. Uh, things, how we grow citrus has changed dramatically over the past 15, 16 years. And so um, anything we can do to help, any suggestions growers have, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, and we're open to always trying new things. Michael, thank you. Thank you, Ernie. Back to you, Abby. Thanks, Ernie, and thanks to Dr. Rogers. I'm talking with Monkey Zekri, a multi-county citrus agent with UFIFIST. Most growers know who Monkey is and what he does, but if not, Monkey, start out by giving us a brief description of what you do with UFIFIST. Okay, I have been working with uh, IFS for the last 22 years as a citrus extension agent. So we help uh, we help growers with up-to-date information on how to manage their citrus growth and how to solve their problems. We organize seminars, workshops, field days, demonstrations for them to learn about the new technology and the new technique really to help them stay in business. Awesome. So many growers have been interested in adopting these citrus tree covers that we've seen on the market for quite some time. So you've done some work with these in the field. So talk about what these covers are, what they do, and what you've seen out there. Yeah, there are many brands of these individual protective covers or what we call them IPCs. So there are different companies coming with them and they have been used by growers and researchers in Florida and they have been very effective in uh, controlling or managing citrus greening because they don't allow the citrus salad, which is the vector of the greening disease, to get to the trees. So the trees stay really free of citrus greening and they grow really faster and they grow really bigger and they come into production at earlier age. What kind of material do these covers consist of? They are most of them really uh, made by from fabric, and they have tiny holes that they won't allow the citrus salad to penetrate into them and get to the citrus trees. But some other issues we have with these covers sometimes. Tinier insects like mealybugs can go inside and multiply. But these covers, they can protect trees from psyllids, from leaf miners, from weevils, from aphids, and other pests as well. And like I told you, they promote really growth. So have you seen some major success with these covers so far? Yeah, they are becoming really more popular and growers are using them in reset groves and in also solid blocks as well. So they can be used both ways on young trees and they can be effective really from two years up to four years. It depends on the size of the bags. So based on your experience in the industry and with these covers, would you say that they are a viable option for growers to consider in the fight against HLB? Yeah, they are one tool in the toolbox and they are very effective in avoiding the insect to get to the trees, and if the trees stay healthy and uh, not infected with greening, they have a good start really to come up to fruit production. So growers are using them, and they are, like I told you, they are, they are becoming more popular with time. 
Obviously, these covers are going to be an extra cost for growers. What exactly are these costs, and would you tell growers that it's worth it at this point? It's worth the cost. The, for the small bags, they cost like around $6. For the larger bags, they cost around $14. The good thing about these covers, they can be used multiple times. So they can use them for the next resets and then for the next reset over like maybe four years or five years. So they are really very economical way to do it. And then the problem of leaf miner will be avoided. The problem with weavers will be avoided. So you don't need really to keep spraying really for bugs and for the silids because they don't allow those to penetrate inside the cover. You are saving money on sprays for other insect pests. They reduce even the canker problem. Canker problem is also reduced because of these covers. Perfect. Well, do you have anything else that you'd like to add about the covers? Yeah, they are beneficial in many ways, but uh, like any other tool, they are not really perfect because sometimes they allow really some mites and mealybugs to come inside the covers. And because of the lack of biological control, we have a problem. So these uh, pests can multiply to a heavy population. Many growers are using them and many growers will be uh, using them down the road and they are economical and very effective and very efficient, and they have been increasing growth due to increased photosynthesis. So they are very beneficial, and I think they can pay for themselves. So it's a good way, really, to use them. And again, it's one of the practices and the strategies, really, to use to slow down citrus greening and to have the early fruit production. Great. Well, thank you, Monkey, for joining us on August Podcast. Thank you, Evie. Growers can see Mongi at the Hendry County Extension Office in LaBelle, or they can email him at maz at ufl.edu. Next, I'll talk to U Albrecht about rootstocks. I'm speaking with U Albrecht, assistant professor and plant physiologist with UFIFIS. She focuses a lot of her work on rootstocks and actually just presented at the recent Citrus Expo. Dr. Albrecht, to start out, give us an overview about rootstocks, what they are, and the work you do with them. So a large part of my program revolves around rootstocks. Um, As we all know, rootstocks are an important part of citrus production in Florida and also in other citrus production areas. In the past, uh, citrus trees used to be grown as seedlings, but uh, when Phytophthora root rot or gomosis came along, it was quickly recognized that adding a cyan onto a rootstock is advantageous um, if that rootstock is tolerant to the disease. So this led then to the rise of sour orange, as the most dominant rootstock, but that changed again when trees on sour orange started to decline from CTV or the citrus tristeza virus. Now we have uh, many other rootstocks that are beneficial for uh, different reasons, whether it's tolerance to diseases such as Phytophthora or um, CTV or citrus blight, or to um, unfavorable soil conditions, specifically um, salinity or high pH, or other stresses such as drought. And uh, most of these um, currently widely used rootstocks have trifoliate orange as a parent, but there are also some other um, 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 varieties. Besides rendering a tree tolerant to stresses and diseases, a rootstock can also influence the scion horticulturally, um, specifically by imparting um, high or a low vigor. That means um, they either produce very large trees or they can also produce very small trees, or they can also affect uh, the fruit quality and the yield of the tree. 
And with the arrival of HRB in Florida, there was an um, increased interest in Rootstock as a management strategy as no additional, at no additional cost. And um, Rootstock can, can help and render the trees more tolerant and to prevent um, loss of productivity and decline. And during the early years um, after HRB was found in Florida, I conducted a lot of research in which I tested different rootstock varieties for HRB tolerance. And um, we discovered um, that um, some of the rootstocks, when grown on their own, that means in the absence of a grafted scion, they are very tolerant to HRB. That means although they become infected with the pathogen, they actually remain undisturbed by the disease. But um, things are not quite as straightforward when these rootstocks are crafted with a scion um, because, unfortunately, most scion cultivars are very susceptible to HIV, with some exceptions, as we, uh, as we recently discovered, Sugarbell is um, tolerant to HIV. But um, most of our trees are on sweet orange, and that can be a problem. And if we don't have a healthy canopy, the roots will suffer even if we have a tolerant rootstock. So, but um, field trials that con were conducted in the last years and also grower experiences in the years after HLB showed clearly that some rootstocks can see, um, seem to consistently perform better than others under HLB endemic con conditions. And for example, there's currently a strong demand for US 942 uh, as a rootstock. So, and in my uh, research program, I'm trying to find out um, what other rootstocks are there that are useful for growers and um, why do these rootstocks perform better? So based on what you've seen so far, what are some of the reasons that rootstocks perform better? There are several reasons why rootstocks may um, uh, perform better. There are, may, for example, they may contain several biochemicals or produce biochemicals in response to infection that may be um, moved into the scion and then hinder the HLB bacterium. Or they may lack uh, specific metabolites that may be necessary for the survival of the pathogen. And there's also some evidence, um, there were some recent studies by researchers at CREC, that um, um, some of the tolerance may be associated with a better ability to replace the phloem. And as we all know, the phloem is the tissue in a plant in which um, photosynthates are transported from the leaves to other parts of the plants, and it's also the place where the HLB pathogen lives. So and in infected plants, the phloem is blocked and becomes necrotic. So it is um, obviously very advantageous if the diseased phloem can be replaced very quickly. Right. So what plays into rootstock tolerance? Is there an explanation for that? So we don't know the exact mechanisms of tolerance or is it a combination of different mechanisms? And um, for in regards to rootstock, um, another reason for rootstock tolerance may be because of the root structure or the root architecture of a specific rootstock and that may be better a better um, that may allow the tree to better take up water and nutrients and therefore indirectly influence the tree performance for example we are currently investigating differences in the hydraulic conductance of different rootstocks and um, the possible reasons such as the different size of the vessel elements that are uh, responsible for the transport of water and nutrients but um, whatever the mechanism is, it is important that rootstocks um, must be tested in multi-year field trials and preferably in different locations and on different soil types and under different environmental conditions and um, under different management. And I have a lot of projects going on in which I am in evaluating many of the new rootstocks from the U.S. breeding program and from the USDA breeding program and also 
some from California. Perfect. Well, at Citrus Expo, you presented some results from a recent project. Tell us about that presentation, just in case some of our listeners weren't able to make it to your presentation in Fort Myers. At the Citrus Expo, I presented um, some of the results from large-scale field trials um, in which we evaluate the performance of over 30 replicated rootstocks and also some other rootstocks that are of interest um, for the breeders. And um, these rootstocks are crafted with um, Hamlin and Valencia scion. And these trials are planted in two different locations. Um, one is a typical flatwood type site and the other is a typical ridge site with uh, well-trained sandy soils. So these trials um, are conducted in collaboration with Likes Brothers and funded by CRDF. So the trials encompass a total of um, more than 80 acres. So it is a large undertaking, um, but fortunately... I have a very, I have a great team of very enthusiastic people and that are doing a tremendous job. We recently completed the first round of horticultural assessments and I presented these data at the expo. And the trees are in their fourth year right now and the results are quite interesting as we are finding considerable differences among trees on the different rootstocks. We find um, that several rootstocks are very vigorous and they make really um, uh, good-looking trees and large trees, while other rootstocks make small trees that do not look all that spectacular. But when we uh, measured the yields in these trials, uh, we found that some of the most vigorous and best-looking trees actually had considerably lower yields than some of the smaller trees. And in this specific case, um, X639 was one of the best-looking trees in all trials, but at least um, in this year of um, um, harvest, we had um, actually one of the lowest yields for this rootstock, which doesn't mean that this may not change um, in the years to come, but this is just what we observed in the early production year. And then we had other trees that are, are considerably smaller, and uh, but they have a very high yield efficiency, and um, some of these rootstocks are some of the um, rootstocks from the uh, U.S. program, and um, also um, U.S. 897 is kind of uh, one of the standard type rootstocks we have in these trials. Awesome. Well, Dr. Albrecht, in your opinion, what makes this work important to growers? You know, why should growers be paying attention or keeping an eye on this work? So this information will be important to growers who are interested in higher density planting as um, some of the small to mid-sized inducing rootstocks will with a high yield efficiency will be more, uh, much more profitable and they will also be um, important for higher density planting. Great. Well, that's all I had for you. But is there anything else you'd like to add? Any other projects you're currently working on that you'd like to mention? So um, I have some other field trials that I'm evaluating that I didn't report on at the expo. Um, they are funded by the HRB MAC program. Um, these trials are mostly in their early stages. So they were either recently planted or they're in their second year. So we will know more in the years to come, and um, we hopefully can identify many winners that can help the growers to remain profitable under the current HRB conditions. And these trials include many of the new UF rootstocks and um, some of the new USDA selections for which we do not have all that much information yet. So um, another important project that I'm involved in and that I just briefly touched upon in, in the expo is the issue of rootstock propagation. Historically, rootstocks have been propagated by seeds, and in, in that is um, the reason for this is that in citrus we have the phenomenon of nocella embryony that results in the production of embryos and that are genetically identical to the mother trees. 
So the plants will be true to type, and uh, this is very advantageous, of course, for propagation. Not so advantageous when one is a traditional citrus breeder. But um, as I mentioned already, there is a large demand for specific rootstocks such as US 942, and we do not have enough seed available right now or seed source trees to meet the demand for some of the specific rootstocks. And some of the newer rootstocks from the UF and the USDA program probably do not have enough seed source trees available at present, so they will have to be propagated by other methods than by seed. Um, And some of these other methods are, for example, cuttings or um, tissue culture. There are, we have several tissue culture companies here in Florida. And um, as I said, um, the demand for US 942 has skyrocketed and um, pretty much um, all propagations on this rootstock are currently done by tissue culture. So although tissue culture is the mode of propagation for um, many other tree fruit crops, and not everyone in the citrus industry here embraces this new technology because there are some concerns, um, of course, about the cost but also regarding the root structure. When we propagate a rootstock by seed, usually the plant forms a single and well-defined taproot. But when we propagate a rootstock by tissue culture or by cuttings, we um, have uh, several smaller lateral roots instead of a single taproot. And whether this has an impact on tree survival during the early years or under um, hurricane conditions, or if it will affect tree growth and um, tree productivity, um, I'm currently investigating. And I have... um, Several field trials in place already. One is here at our center in, in Immokalee at Swiftrack, and then two are in commercial locations, which are in their second year now. These trials also include different rootstocks, and um, all are propagated by seed, by cuttings, and by tissue culture. So we have a direct comparison regarding the performance of these trees. They are um, with the Valencia Scion. And so far, everything looks great, and we do not see any differences in survival and tree growth that is associated with the propagation method, which is really good news. But where we see differences, these are mostly related to the rootstock variety. Um, And we're continuing to evaluate these trials trials now in um, long term, and we also will plan some additional trials by the end of the year. And I hope that we can put um, some of the concerns about rootstock propagation to rest in the near future. Lastly, of course, I'm also collaborating on other projects with um, with colleagues from UF here in Immokalee and from CREC and also from other institutions, USDA or researchers in California or Texas. And um, these projects study the efficacy of um, other HLB management strategies, such as the use of soil amendments, or the use of IPCs or individual protective covers, um, on which um, there was also a presentation during the recent um, Citrus Expo by my colleague, Dr. Fernandez Alferes, and um, also um, collaborating on the development of methods to efficiently apply therapeutic compounds to the tree vasculature to reduce bacterial populations, and that was reported on in the previous podcast by my colleague, Dr. Oscar Batuman. So hopefully we'll have some uh, more interesting results in the near future that will be of benefit to the industry. And that's all I got. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Albrecht, for joining me today. Okay. Thank you, Abby. That wraps up August's All In for Citrus podcast. Again, I'm Abby Taylor, and be sure to stay tuned for another program where we'll talk to more UF IFAS Citrus experts on what they've been up to in the field and in the lab. Also, be sure to listen to any previous programs you may have missed on citrusindustry.net slash all in for citrus or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.